Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 217 of the Everyday Missionary Podcast. Yes, a place where we're trying to figure out, does it make sense any longer to be like Jesus in a world that's gone crazy? Yes, that's the mission of the podcast. And I'm going to say emphatically, yes, it actually does matter. In fact, I think it matters more than ever uh, that we hone in on the main thing being the main thing, and we fight for the main thing more than the other things that tend to get our time, our affections, our attentions, our money, our priorities our passions, whatever it is, like like this is the season for us to be like, man, we're going to get laser focused and we're going to care about Jesus stuff in Jesus ways because we want Jesus to win and we want Jesus to win based on the way he wants to win, which is not by being thugs and punks and jerks and turds and everything else, but actually by embracing and authentically living out Jesus stuff. So that's what I'm kind of talking about today, but not in a direct sort of sense. Now to get there though, uh, I want to talk about something that read in the news this week, which is dumb stuff that Baptists do. So, uh, as I'm sure you hear on the podcast before, I uh, attend a Baptist seminary. Uh, I will probably be doing school the rest of my life because I love the academic outlet of it. And actually, that's going to lead into what the topic is about today. But of course, because of being in a Southern Baptist seminary, uh, I also am constantly like, you know, kind of keeping the telescope fixed on what's going on in the SBC and everything else. Uh, And then this week, this little gem that came out that Mike Stone, who was running to become the president of the Southern Baptist this last year, uh, he lost. uh, But he decided to sue Russell Moore, who was the head of their ethics committee until this last year year and now has gone off to do something completely outside of the Southern Baptist because Russell Moore has had enough of the Southern Baptist. Uh, he, he left and Mike Stone is now suing Russell Moore for I think like seven hundred dollars or $750,000 for defamation of character because he believes that some things that Russell Moore had said in some memos that were leaked kept him from getting the presidency of the Southern Baptist and therefore Mike Stone is suing Russell Moore for punitive damages for not becoming president of the Southern Baptist Convention. How is that at all like Jesus, right? That's nuts. Now, what's doubly nuts is that Mike Stone barely lost the nomination for the presidency of the Southern Baptist. And this just highlights how far away major leaders are in the Southern Baptist Convention from being like Jesus, Now, the reason I think that's important is that the SBC is the largest, what's considered considered conservative evangelical denomination or affiliation in the United States. And so from that, I just use that as sort of like this litmus test of, okay, if this denomination that represents a large contingent of American conservative Christians uh, has leaders like this, and there's been a lot of brokenness in the SBC, then how deeply do we need to stare into the mirror and say, yeah, we got some mess. We've got some bias. We've got some chippiness. We've got some entitlement that we need to address as followers of Jesus in the American culture. I know I make this a topic almost too much on the podcast, like, hey, man, we got to get this squared up as evangelicals. We need to get back to the fundamental basics, not of, quote, doctrinal Christianity. We need to get back to the basics of, like, 
like Sunday school when you were four, right? Simple Jesus stories, love your neighbor, do good, hold hands together, don't be mean, don't bite, you know, like like that kind of stuff seems to be like the most important stuff that we need to now start focusing on as Christians in the American context. And especially because I think we're incredibly tempted to get drug in to the entitled pettiness of the world that we are constantly immersed in, right? We are fish in water. We don't know we're wet. And in the same way, there are so many things where, uh, again, it's just tempting to be earthly and trying to get things done in these earthly sort of ways that we lose all of our kingdom distinctiveness and we lose the ability to properly uh, demonstrate and uh, to display in our actions, reactions, attitudes, and affections what Jesus really looks like. Like, as I think about that more, I go, how does the world around us uh, envision Jesus? And is the vision they have of Jesus linked into the vision that they see within the Christian church? And if it's not, is it they go like, that Jesus is cool, but the church is whacked out? Or do they go, Jesus is whacked out because the church is whacked out? All of those things kind of concern me. And so with that, I think it's it's important for us as, as followers of Jesus to say, you know what, actually following Jesus is what matters most right now. More than being right, more than holding the moral line, more than making sure our culture doesn't fall into hedonism and decay and postmodernism and pluralism and all that other stuff, like more than anything else, the only thing that I believe is going to turn it around is we start sounding a lot like the dude whose name we hold and that we would do that consistently over long periods of time because that's the essence of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus or a disciple, a learner. It's a long, slow, steady following in the same direction underneath the core commands that Jesus issues to us and that that would just be the commitment that we have. And from that, that we're willing to go to war with our worst inner selves, that we're willing to go to war with our most entitled, self-interested selves, that we're willing to go to war with our fearful, uh, I want to secure life in this life types of selves. And instead we go, hey, I'm following the dude that laid it down completely without a word and praying for those who are against him saying, Father, forgive them. Like that's the stuff we need to be about. And so even in that, I think it's important for us as believers, as we're wrestling with God's truth and with God's kind of plans for our life, that we approach life a lot more open-handed in all sorts of ways, a lot more humble before our God. And then from that, hopefully we will begin to morph and change and let go of the bad habits and embrace the deeper, more important habits for life. And from that, then we will see actual change in the world instead of bludgeoning change into the world or trying to force change or shame change or guilt change or vote change will actually embody change. And from that, then change will occur. So anyway, just something really been on my mind as I was uh, looking at this article this week and kind of noting this. And, and again, you know, just honestly being connected to the SBC in some capacity all the more just reminds me of how desperately important it is that we get back to the simplicity of what Christianity is all about. It's not easy to do, but it's actually really simple. And that leads me then to the topic of the day. 
how we try to maintain the idea that Christianity is simple when at times it throws a lot of complication at us. And it throws the complication at us for all sorts of well-intended reasons. It throws the complication at us because there's an industry revolving around kind of kind of buttressing the complication, which is the publishing industry is constantly wanting to write books about details within Christianity. And therefore, we sometimes make Christianity more complicated than it needs to be. But then also on top of that, we have this book over here, the Bible. And the Bible is an incredibly complicated, intriguing, perplexing, odd, beautiful work in and of itself. And so how do we deal with all of that? Well, here is my thesis for the day. This actually came out of some interactions I was having with some of my fellow students um, on how should we see some really complicated things revolving around the atonement of Christ. In other words, what does the atonement do? What is the nature of the atonement? What's the predominant theory on atonement that we should all embrace as evangelical Christians? And it was all this big discussion and everything else. And, and then in there, I said, you know, here's what I think we need to do. And I think we need to do this when it comes to the Bible at large. We need to see the Bible more as a salad and less as a soup. Yes, I feel like I should drop the mic and walk away right now based on that. Um, but here's what I'm getting at. See, I think in our modernistic, uh, apologetics-laden environment, we as Christians sometimes feel that we need to take the Bible in all of its organic, raw complexity, and we need to kind of puree it and then cook it down into a cohesive, theological, systematized soup. So all the pieces need to fit, all the different things need to align, anything that seems like contradictions we need to erase, anything that seems complicated we need to simplify. We need to make sure that we show how God has given us a cohesive vision for the world in the context of these 66 books spanning thousands of years by multiple different authors and different cultural contexts coming out of different life circumstances. No, we need to take all of that and we need to show that we are smart enough, intuitive enough and not duped by craziness. We need to take it then and just stew it all down into this easy to kind of consume soup, right? I don't think that's the Bible. In fact, if anything, I think the Bible should be seen as like a Cobb salad, right? It's just all of these different parts all in one bowl together. And you're not trying to make sure that the eggs are the same as the lettuce and that the ham is the same as the corn. And no, you're just letting all the pieces be. And you go, man, what makes salad awesome is all the different flavor, all the different texture, all the different color, all the different nuance and dance of all these things. Sometimes things that don't even seem to go together. Like when people put cranberries in kind of a savory salad, how how does that work? And then we throw nuts in there and just crazy stuff, right? But in that, that makes some of the best salad that there is. And again, you're letting it all just be what it is in one space. See, I think that's the beauty of the Bible. And I think in that, a more simplified vision of the Bible is saying, you know what? I'm going to let all the parts be the parts. And I'm going to let each one of those parts tell me the story. And then in light of that, I'm going to go to God and say, help me to live out all these different constituent parts. I don't have to make them all fit or focus or again, kind of liquefy into one collective thought. But but rather, I'm really cool with letting the complexity and complication of the Bible guide me because I live in the complexity and complication 
of real life. See, I don't think that undermines Christianity or the Bible. I actually think it elevates it. Because one of the things I was thinking about when it comes to this this book right here is that God didn't give it to us in a way that we would want, right? I mean, think about it. How would you want a divine book? I think you would want it to where it was utterly clear. There's a decoder key right at the beginning. It says, all right, here's what I mean by all these different words. Um, here's the way everybody can understand it and, and, and get by on it. Matter of fact, we would want a book that nobody could debate. We would want a book that every single Christian saw it the exact same way and had for thousands of years. But what we know is that God gave us almost the exact opposite of what we would want. And I believe there's a reason for that. And the reason, and and this is why I think it's important for us to embrace this, the reason is, is because God gave us a book that requires us to go through that book with him. And I think when we try to distill it down into a systematized system, systematized system, yeah, I think that's some kind of weird double thing there. But when we try to just strip the Bible down into its parts and then create this systematic grid and kind of iron out all of the kinks and wrinkles and confusion, after a while, you know what? You don't need God to understand the Bible. You just need the right methodology, the right hermeneutic, the right technique to figure out how to strip it out of its original messy intentions and put it together in a nice, clean, tidy 21st century postmodern or modernistic viewpoint. But see, that's the tragic thing. The tragic thing is that we think we need to approach the Bible more from the perspective of intellect and knowledge than we need to approach it from the perspective of divine guidance and wisdom. Now, is that clean? Not at all. It's not. But I actually think it's the space we need to be in. And I actually think it's that we've lost this space, which in part has been part of our problems for the last several decades. Because part of what we started to do is we said, hey, the job of Christianity is to stand up for Christ and culture. But that got turned into, well, we need to stand up for the information of Christianity and culture. And therefore, we need to come up with an apologetics model that's answering all the questions for culture. And then from that, we started seeing those answers more as weapons to say why the culture is wrong and we're right. And we need to fight the culture with this apologetic methodology. And then pretty soon, we're scouring the Bible, trying to figure out all the answers to stand up to all of the problems, all of the philosophical issues, all of the moral decay. And all the while, we stopped navigating this organic, beautiful, messy, challenging book every day saying, God, please guide me. Please show me. Please give me wisdom to live in this world based on your word. Let me hear the nuances. Let me see the salad. Don't let me just fall for the soup desires. Now, maybe for some of you, this doesn't resonate. I don't know. But for me, it's making a big difference. Right? It's making a big difference because my brain is always wanting to say, but how do all the things work? And I think God's like, that's where you're cute, Matt. Because if I wanted to give you a book that was so easy to figure out and you could understand how all the things worked, I would have given you that book. Instead, I gave you a book that there is a lot of diversity. There's a lot of complication. There's a lot of question mark, a lot of confusion. But then tucked in there, there's some real clarifying moments. And those clarifying moments, those are the ones that should get your attention. 
And of the most clarifying moments, what is clear to me that the thing that changes the world is not clear or more uh, concise information, but rather it's life transformation. And life transformation isn't about our moral kind of uh, upstandingness in the world, but rather it's our Christ-likeness in the world. And so I think we're better off to just take salad over soup and in the salad saying, God, every day, give me wisdom, give me guidance, give me clarity, not so much so I can answer all the questions and solve all the mysteries, but give me clarity so that I can be more and more like Jesus in a world that desperately needs to see him, feel him, and interact with him. See, I think if we do that, if we find that space and we take that salad and we rely on God's guidance and we seek wisdom over knowledge and wisdom even over tenacity, we seek wisdom and humility, I think in that space, we will be fantastic everyday missionaries.